the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As Joe got to the place where he bended the knee and he surrendered and he raised the white flag and raised the banner of Jesus, then God said, hey, now, now you're ready for my blessing in your life. Now you can experience all that I have in store for you. Now you're ready for my best. Boy, did God give him his best. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. See, God will do whatever it takes to bring us from that place of brokenness to his best in our lives, but we must trust him. We know this because God always desires his best for us. He always desires these right relationships. So that's why he did not stop in his word by telling us that Job righted his relationship with him. He begins to tell us how the musketeers of misery, Job's three friends, could right their relationship with him. And notice God's response to these friends. He doesn't let them off the hook. It's a reminder. You and I will be accountable for what we say and do, even as Christ followers. You see, your salvation experience with God was never intended to be a a one-time encounter that gives you eternal insurance. It's to, to be an ongoing relationship where you're to stay closely connected with him. And when that relationship is broken because of sin or choices in your life, you better believe we are accountable for the things we say and do. What was the sin of these friends? Put simply, they had misrepresented God. Remember what they said to Job? They had pointed their fingers at Job and said, hey, if you just confess your sins, you'll get right. God's angry at you. He's, he's going to kill you if you don't, Job, because he's angry at you. You've got to confess whatever's wrong. What was the problem with that? That's not what was going on. God was not causing this difficulty in Job's life. He allowed it, but he wasn't causing it. And so we see in this passage, it's a serious thing when you assume on the attributes and the characteristics of God and you don't get it right. And it made God angry. It's interesting to me that God uses that word. His anger burned against them. You do know that sin makes God angry. I'm going to remind you of this in just a moment, so hold on to it. Don't forget what I'm about to tell you. God loves you. God is a loving God. In fact, if you want to memorize the Bible verse today, you can memorize this verse from 1 John. God is love. At the core of who God is is love. But don't miss this, friend. Sin is Your sin, my sin, it makes God angry. Sin has always made God angry. And in the Old Testament, we see his anger burn sometime as he destroys whole nations. But in the New Testament, we see his anger as clear as it's ever seen. You know where we see the anger of God? 
on the cross of Calvary. Because the Bible says that when Jesus died on that cross, he became the propitiation for our sin. Now, before you think, well, that's a big word I don't understand. Let me just tell you, you need to understand that word. That word propitiation means to take on the wrath or the anger of God. So when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't just God doing some fancy feet or fancy footwork for you. He was taking on the anger of God. That's why he could cry out and say, God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so angry at me in this moment? Sin always angers God. And in this moment, he says he's angry at these friends because they misrepresented him. You know what I think it was? They just assumed on the name of God and what that meant. How do you and I do that? I think that's at the heart of what the commandment is. It says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Most of you have been around church much. You would know that that's, that's one of the commandments. But a lot of you would think, well, what does that mean? That means I don't attribute a curse word to God's name. And you think that's what it means to take God's name in vain. But I would suggest to you that taking God's name is more than just cursing. Taking God's name in vain may be callousness. It's maybe just becoming where you're so callous about God's name and who he is that you don't treat him as the holy God that he is. It may be just getting comfortable with God, thinking that he's your buddy, buddy, not understanding that he is the God of the universe. And so he was angry. But what was his ultimate goal for even these three friends? It's the same ultimate goal he has for you and for me. It was for restoration of relationship. See, God created you for a relationship with him. And and when the sin that makes him angry separates you and him, his greatest desire is to be reunited. Like that good old gospel song says, you know it? I think it's hymn number 476 or something like this. Reunited and it feels so good. No, that's God's desire. He wants wants things to be made right with you. He wants you to be reunited with him. He is a God of reconciliation. He wants you to be a minister of reconciliation. So after Job was made right with him, he then wants Job to get right with his friends so that they can be right with God. You realize how much God desires that right relationship with you. How much he wants that holiness to be right. Let it be said on this day, my singing made a baby cry. <laughs> All right. Understand the truth. In spite of your faults, in spite of your failures, in spite of all that's wrong with you, God wants a right relationship. How could that be? The one who knows me best loves me most. That's our God. God's holiness not only creates this desire for a relationship with us, it demands we seek communion with him and, and pursue that holiness. He does not want it. He's never okay with us being off track. He, he's never okay with us doing our own thing. It's him that writes the final chapter of our lives. And God knew he could not finish his purposes in Job's life until Job was right. And that just gives you a side truth I think you can hold on to, to today. That pathway to holiness is always through relationship. Your relationship with God and your relationship with others. 
It's interesting, as I mentioned, what happens. So God orders Job's friends to come to Job and kind of apologize and then ask Job to pray for them before God. And so really it's a, it's a case in which he says to the offended, I want you to pray for the offenders. So God was not just working in the life of these three friends. He was also working in the life of Job because Job, who had sat on the ash heap and had had their fingers pointed at him, now knew he needed to what? Forgive his friends. Remember what I said, the, the pathway to holiness is through right relationships. And some of you today are, you're, oh man, you're just bound up with unforgiveness. And you need, to, you need to understand that principal truth, I like to say again and again, that unforgiveness is that poison that we drink while we wait for somebody else to die. It just tears us up. We only hurt ourselves when we fail to forgive others. So how did Job do this? How did he, uh, on that ash heap, while his circumstances still had not changed, understand that. When Job's friends were coming to him, he's still covered in sores. He still lost everything he has. How does he then say, okay, God, I'll pray for them, whatever. How does he do that? He's pursuing holiness first. He's listening to God, not looking at man. He's not holding a grudge. You see, a contrite heart never holds grudges. It makes no demands. It has no expectations. It offers no conditions. It anticipates no favors. Maybe you need help with grudges today. This time of year, we we sometimes have to hang out with people we may not be the fondest of. Maybe you're dealing with grudges. You want me to help you? Just remember something. We've all got the same disease. One sin separates us from God. And we all have that bad core. So we're all prone to let people down. We don't necessarily want to. We should not like to. But hang around us long enough, we'll let you down. So treat people with grace. Don't hold grudges. You know, another side thought as I look at Job and his friends, because I've just been kind of hard on these friends. Understand that we have an enemy who the Bible says is after us with fiery darts. He, he's, he's shooting arrows at us. You know what I've learned? Satan wastes no arrows. What do I mean by that? Satan is not all-knowing, but he knows a lot. And so who's he going to come after? It's not just the weak that fall. In fact, if you look in scripture at the godly men who fail, typically we think of them as strong. Satan knows where to come. And so maybe if you feel like, good night, I'm Job. Satan is sparing my life, but everything else is under attack. Find a little heart in that. Maybe he recognizes, man, if you just get sold out, if you get totally broken, if you abandon yourself and surrender to God, God could do something great through you. God desires to bless you. So, so Satan's after you. But understand this, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. We see that in David's life, don't we? It was after all his mishaps that David is called a man after God's own heart. But man, he blew, it, he blew it pretty big while he was living. Well, I said there were three things. God's holy. God demands our holiness. 
But here's the great truth. God always blesses holiness. And this should be something that encourages you today. Though his thoughts are different, though his timing's different, though his techniques are different, God always blesses holiness. By forgiving, Job opened the door for God's blessing. Think about this. The tiny hinges of forgiveness open the door to God's blessings in your life. When you just obediently continue to pursue holiness and persevere after him, God, God will do great things. Someone put it this way, the cultivation of obedient endurance is the crowning mark of maturity. It's like the tombstone of the man that, that said, here lies a man who kept growing as he kept going. That's what I want said of me. Man, with each day that I go forward, I grow a little more. I, I want to be a lifelong learner in every area of life, but certainly in my relationship with God. And the Bible says that as Job got to the place where he bended the knee and he surrendered and he raised the white flag and raised the banner of Jesus, then God said, hey, now, now you're ready for my blessing in your life. Now you can experience all that I have in store for you. Now you're ready for my best. Boy, did God give him his best. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at missionhillchurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at missionhillchurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Look at the list. This is the same list we find in the first chapter of Job, except the numbers are a little different. It said he had 14,000 sheep. You know how many he he used to have? 7,000. God doubled it. He had 3,000 camels before, now he had 6,000. He had 500 oxen, now he had 1,000. He had 500 donkeys, now he had 1,000. And then he had 10 more children, seven sons and three daughters. And I love the names of the daughter. The first daughter, they, they say they called Jemima. You may have heard of her later. She became an aunt in life and became a very good cook. One of her famous things was pancakes. But they had Jemima. And then they had... Keziah, and then the name Karen Happy. And in the, in the message, it gives us the, the meaning of these names. And it says the first one was named Dove. And the second was named Cinnamon, cinnamon a sweet smell. And, and the third was named Dark Eyes because the, the word that is used really is the word that the idea of makeup was derived from. And it's all summed up. It's all summed up in the next verse where it says, and Job's daughter's were the most beautiful women in all the land. And I I want you to see what that's saying symbolically. Job, whose life was changed in an instant, who was sitting in the ashes, saw God take beauty from the ashes. Isaiah 61, 3 puts it this way, to all those who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks and the Lord has planted them for his own glory. Could it be that God is wanting you to endure whatever it is you're facing so that he can bring beauty from the ashes of your life? 
Could it be that he's saying, hey, stay strong, stay firm. Don't give up on doing what's right. Don't give up on this marriage. Don't give up on following me spiritually because as you keep on keeping on, I will plant you strong for my glory. And then it says God gave him another 140 years. Scholars tell us that that means Job probably lived to be 210 years old. And that's why it could be said of him, he lived a long life. And he was full of life. A couple of other thoughts and then we'll wrap this up. I think it's interesting that Job's family showed up. Did anybody else find that interesting? We hadn't been hearing about these brothers and sisters. All we heard about is his friend. But when Job got blessed, his family showed back up. Now, I don't know why they were showing up, but it does make me think about something. We're not usually good at celebrating with those who celebrate, are we? I've hung out with church people all my life. We're pretty decent at mourning with those who mourn. But man, when somebody else is blessed, we tend to get jealous. And it, that jealousy shows its ugly head in, in some simple ways. Matter of fact, if you're driving a new car, you've probably heard somebody say this. You drive up and one of your friends who's not driving a new car, you get out of your car and what do they say? Must be nice. That's not exactly the same as celebrating and bringing money and bringing rings. You know what you should say next time somebody says that to you? Say, it is. In fact, it's very nice. (laughs) But, But think about that. God's called us to celebrate with those who celebrate. But. As you think about all the blessings that Job got, I want you to understand that his greatest blessing was not the regaining of his family, not the regaining of his fortune, not the regaining of his fame or even his future. The greatest blessing was the deepening of his faith. He understood who God was and who he was, and he understood what that meant to him. That's what you and I have to understand. Who is God and who am I and where do we intersect? And because of the New Testament, we know the place. Who God is and who we are intersects at the cross. You see, just as God created in that type of Job an intermediary, God gives us an intermediary in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus took on that anger of God so that we don't have to, so that as we trust Jesus, as we go to Jesus, Jesus blesses us. And he blesses us far more than we could ever think. And that's why the half-brother of Jesus, James, says in James chapter 5 and and verse 11, And you know, consider those blessed who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance. You've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. It's what Paul understood when it says that he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness. Insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. 
It's what Oswald Chambers was getting at in that quote I gave you last week when he said, to choose suffering makes no sense at all, but to choose God's will in the midst of suffering makes all the sense in the world. It's what Chuck Swindoll was reminding us when he said, God's plan is unfolding and I cannot hinder it. Uh, God's plan is incredible and I I will not comprehend it. God's reproof is reliable and I dare not ignore it. And, And God's way is best and I must not resist it. That's what Job understood in chapter 23 when he says, but he knows the way I take. And when he's tested me, I will come forth as gold. So in verse 17, it says, and Job died an old man full of days. Literally, it means this. Job died old and satisfied. I think it's what Moses finally got. Now understand, Moses didn't even get to go into the promised land. God took him up to see it. And yet in Psalms 90, this is what Moses says about life. The years of life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger, your wrath, according to the fear of you? Teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Satisfied. And that brings us to the question for you and me. Are you satisfied? Now understand, satisfaction is not the same thing as settling. To be satisfied doesn't mean that I settle for not doing any better. To be satisfied means that I find all I need in Jesus. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of the storm, I'm trusting him to bring beauty from the ashes. A group of ladies were studying Malachi chapter 3 and verse 3 in Bible study. It says, and he shall sit as a refiner at the fire. They wanted to understand that more. So one of them said, I want to go to a silversmith. And I want to see if I can understand this passage. And so she went to the silversmith and the silversmith began to explain what he did and how he would refine that precious metal. And she sat and she listened to him say everything he could about the process. And, And then... She said, I have one more question before I go. Do you always sit and watch? Do you, do you always keep your eye on the silver? And he said, oh, yes. I sit and I watch. Because if that fire gets too hot, I need to pull the silver out. Or it may be damaged beyond repair. And she thought of the verse, and I sit as a refiner by the fire. You may feel like as you look at your life, all that you see is an ash heap. You may feel like you've come through the fire. You may feel like you're in the fire. You may see the smoke on the horizon that you're headed into the fire. I want you to know today that we serve a God who sits as a refiner at the fire, 
watching and waiting. He may be allowing for you to experience the pain. He may be allowing for you to go through the difficult time, but take this to the bank. Our God sits at a refi- as a refiner at the fire. He will not let you be burnt beyond repair. And as you trust him, he will always bless you and bring beauty from your ashes in life. You can trust him. Be satisfied in him today. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910.